Part two of This Simian World. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Epistomolus. This Simian World by Clarence Day, Jr. Part two. Six. Let us take the great cats. They are free from this talent for slavehood. Stately beasts like the lion have more independence of mind than the ants, and a self-respect, we may note, unknown to primates. Or consider the leopards, with hearts that no tyrant could master. What fearless and resolute leopard men they could have fathered! How magnificently such a civilization would have made its force tell! A race of civilized beings descended from these great cats would have been rich in hermits and solitary thinkers. The recluse would not have been stigmatized as peculiar, as he is by us simians. They would not have been a credulous people, or easily religious. False prophets and swindlers would have found few dupes. And what generals they would have made! What consummate politicians! Don't imagine them as a collection of tigers walking around on their hind legs. They would have only been like tigers in the sense that we men are like monkeys. Their development in appearance and character would have been quite transforming. Instead of the small flat head of the tiger, they would have had clear, smooth brows, and those who were not bald would have had neatly parted hair, perhaps striped. Their mouths would have been smaller and more sensitive, their faces more dignified. Where now they express chiefly savageness, they would have expressed fur and grace. They would have been courteous and suave. No vulgar crowding would have occurred on the streets of their cities, no mobs, no ignominious subway jams. Imagine a cultivated coterie of such men and women at a ball, dancing. How few of us humans are graceful! They would have all been pavlovas. Like ants and bees, the cat race is nervous. Their temperaments are high-strung. They would never have become as poised or as placid as, say, super-cows. Yet they would have had less insanity, probably, than we. Monkeys and elephants' minds seem precariously balanced, unstable. The great cats are saner. They are intense. They would have needed sanitariums, but fewer asylums. And their asylums would have been not for weak-minded souls, but for furies. They would have been strong at slander. They would have been far more violent than we in their hates, and they would have had fewer friendships. Yet they might not have been any poorer in real friendships than we. The real friendships among men are so rare that when they occur they are famous. Friends as loyal as Damon and Pythias were are exceptions. Good fellowship is common, but unchanging affection is not. We like those who like us, as a rule, and dislike those who don't. Most of our ties have no better footing than that, and those who have many such ties are called warm-hearted. The super-cat men would have rated cleanliness higher. Some of us primates have learned to keep ourselves clean, but it's no large proportion, and even the cleanest of us see no grandeur in soap manufacturing, and we don't look to manicures and plumbers for social prestige. A feline race would have honored such occupations. J. de Courcy Tiger would have felt that nothing but making soap, or being a plumber, was compatible with high social position, and the rich Vera Pantherbilt would have deigned to dine only with manicures. 
none but the lowest dregs of such a race would have been lawyers spending their span of life on this mysterious earth studying the long dusty records of dead and gone quarrels we simians naturally admire a profession full of wrangle and chatter but that is a monkeyish way of deciding disputes not feline we fight best in armies gregariously where the risk is reduced but we disapprove usually of murderers and of almost all private combat with the great cats it would have been just the other way around lions and leopards fight each other singly not in bands as do monkeys as matter of fact few of us delight in really serious fighting we do love to bicker and we box and knock each other around to exhibit our strength but few normal simians are keen about bloodshed and killing we do it in war only because of patriotism revenge duty glory a feline civilization would have cared nothing for duty or glory but they would have taken a far higher pleasure in gore if a planet of super cat men could look down upon ours they would not know which to think was the most amazing the way we tamely live five million or so in a city with only a few police to keep us quiet while we commit only one or two murders a day and hardly have a respectable number of brawls or the way great armies of us are trained to fight not liking it much and yet doing more killing in wartime and shedding more blood than even the fiercest lion on his cruelest days which would perplex a gentlemanly supercat spectator the more our habits of wholesale slaughter in the field or our spiritless making a fetish of order at home it is fair to judge peoples by the rights they will sacrifice most for super cat men would have been outraged had their right of personal combat been questioned the simian submits with odd readiness to the loss of this privilege what outrages him is to make him stop wagging his tongue he becomes most excited and passionate about the right of free speech even going so far in his emotion as to declare it sacred he looks upon other creatures pityingly because they are dumb if one of his own children is born dumb he counts it a tragedy even that mere hesitation in speech known as stammering he deems a misfortune so precious to a simian is the privilege of making sounds with his tongue that when he wishes to punish severely those men he calls criminals he forbids them to chatter and forces them by threats to be silent it is felt that his punishment is entirely too cruel however and even the worst offenders should be allowed to talk part of each day whatever a simian does there must always be some talking about it he can't even make peace without a kind of chatter called a peace conference supercats would not have had to make peace they would have just walked off and stopped fighting in a world of supercat men i suppose there would have been fewer sailors and people would have cared less for seaside resorts or for swimming cats hate getting wet so men descended from them might have hated it they would have felt that even going in wading was a sign of great hardihood and only the most daring young fellows showing off would have done it among them there would have been no antivivisection societies no young cat christian associations or red cross work no vegetarians no early closing laws much more hunting and trapping no riding to hounds that's pure simian just think how it would have entranced the old-time monkeys to foresee such a game 
a game where they'd all prance off on captured horses, tearing pell-mell through the woods in gay red coats, attended by a yelping pack of servant dogs? It is excellent sport, but how cats would scorn to hunt in that way. They would not have knighted explorers. They would have all been explorers. Imagine that you were strolling through a super-cat city at night. Over yonder is the business quarter, its evening shops blazing with jewels. The great stockyards lie to the east where you hear those sad sounds, that twittering as of innumerable birds waiting slaughter. Beyond lie the silent aquariums and the crates of fresh mice. They raise mice instead of hens in the country, in super-catland. To the west is a beautiful but weirdly bacchanalian park, with long groves of catnip, where young supercats have their fling, and where a few crazed catnip addicts live on till they die, unable to break off their strangely undignified orgies. And here, where you stand, is the sumptuous residence district, houses with spacious grounds everywhere, no densely packed buildings. The streets have been swept up, or lapped up, until they are spotless. Not a scrap of paper is lying around anywhere. No rubbish, no dust. Few of the pavements are left bare, as ours are, and those few are polished. The rest have deep, soft, velvet carpets. No footfalls are heard. There are no lights in these streets, though these people are abroad much at night. All you see are stars overhead, and the glowing eyes of cat-ladies, of lithe, silken ladies who pass you, or of stiff-whiskered men. Beware of those men and the gleam of their split-pupiled stare. They are haughty, punctilious, inflammable. Self-absorbed, too, however. They will probably not even notice you, but if they do, you are lost. They take offense in a flash, abhor strangers, despise hospitality, and would think nothing of killing you or me on their way home to dinner follow one of them. Enter this house. Oh, what splendor! No servants, though a few abject monkeys wait at the back doors and submissively run little errands. But of course they are never let inside. That would seem out of place. Gorgeous couches, rich colors, silken walls, an oriental magnificence. In here is the ballroom. But wait! What is this in the corner? a large triumphal statue of a cat overcoming a dog. And look at this dining-room, its exquisite appointments, its daintiness, faucets for hot and cold milk in the pantry, and a gold bowl of cream. Someone is entering. Hush! If I could but describe her. Languorous, slender, and passionate sleepy eyes that see everything, an indolent, purposeful step, an unimaginable grace. If you were her lover, my boy, you would learn how fierce love can be, how capricious and sudden, how hostile, how ecstatic, how violent. Think what the state of the arts would have been in such cities. They would have had few comedies on their stage, no farces, Cats care little for fun. In the circus, superlative acrobats. No clowns. In drama and singing they would have surpassed us, probably. 
even in the state of arrested development as mere animals, in which we see cats, they wail with a passionate intensity at night in our yards. Imagine how a Caruso descended from such beings would sing. In literature they would not have begged for happy endings. They would have been personally more self-assured than we, far freer of cheap imitativeness of each other in manners and art, and hence more original in art, more clearly aware of what they really desired, not cringingly watchful of what was expected of them, less widely observant, perhaps, more deeply thoughtful. Their artists would have produced less, however, even though they felt more. A super-cat artist would have valued the pictures he drew for their effects on himself. He wouldn't have cared a rap whether anyone else saw them or not. He would not have bothered, usually, to give any form to his conceptions. Simply to have had the sensation would have for him been enough. But since simians love to be noticed, it does not content them to have a conception. They must wrestle with it until it takes a form in which others can see it. They doom the artistic impulse to toil with its nose to the grindstone until their idea is expressed in a book or a statue. Are they right? I have doubts. The artistic impulse seems not to wish to produce finished work. It certainly deserts us halfway after the idea is born. And if we go on, art is labor. With the cats, art is joy. But the dominant characteristic of this fine race is cunning, and hence I think it would have been through their craftiness chiefly that they would have felt the impulse to study and the wish to advance. Craft is a cat's delight, craft they never can have too much of. So it would have been from one triumph of cunning to another that they would have marched. That would have been the greatest driving force of their civilization. This would have meant great progress in invention and science, or in some fields of science, the economic, for instance. But it would have retarded them in others. Kraft studies the world calculatingly, from without, instead of understandingly from within. Especially would it have cheapened the feline philosophies. For not simply how to know, but how to circumvent the universe would have been their desire. Mankind's curiosity is disinterested. It seems purer by contrast. That is to say, made as we are, it seems purer to us. What we call disinterested, however, supercats might call aimless. Aimlessness is one of the regular simian traits. I don't mean to be prejudiced in favor of the simian side. Curiosity may be as debasing, I grant you, as craft. And craft might turn into artifices of a kind which would be noble and fine. Just as the ignorant and fitful curiosity of some little monkey is hardly to be compared to the astronomer's magnificent search, so the craft and cunning we see in our pussies would bear small relation to the high-minded planning of some ruler of the race we are imagining. And yet, craft is self-defeating in the end. Transmuted into its finest possible form, let it be as subtle and civilized as you please, as yearning and noble, as enlightened, it still sets itself over against the wholeness of things. Its role is that of the part at war with the whole. Milton's Lucifer had the mind of a fine super-cat. That craft may defeat itself in the end, however, is not the real point. That doesn't explain why the lions aren't ruling the planet. 
The trouble is, it would defeat itself in the beginning. It would have too bitterly stressed the struggle for existence. Conflict and struggle make civilizations virile, but they do not by themselves make civilizations. Mutual aid and support are needed for that. There the felines are lacking. They do not cooperate well. They have small group devotion. Their lordliness, their strong self-regard, and their coolness of heart have somehow thwarted the chance of their racial progress. End of Part 2 Recording by Epistomalus, Cupertino, California, epcomm.com slash school.